Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your work. Workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I am excited you guys are here. If you're joining me for the first time, you've got yet another epic episode for you guys. If you've never listened before, um, you're going to walk away with some really valuable nuggets. And if you guys are returning listeners, you guys rock 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 thank you so very much for returning every week time and time again i see who you are i see where you are if that just didn't creep you out because of all big brother stuff i don't know what did but (laughs) but i appreciate you being here it just hit me like a like a stone i was like oh that did sound a little big brothery there but that's all right it's all it's all analytics guys it's all analytics um it's cool seriously um we've got people that listen to this podcast in canada we got people that listen to it in Australia now and India um, reaches over to the UK. I mean, we got some, you know, we got some, it's, it's wide reaching. So, so thank you guys so much for, for listening and coming back and, and making this a huge success because honestly, this is, this is what it's about. This is, this is here. I'm here for you guys. As a matter of fact, I'm here to help you share, uh, help share with you, you know, the what and the how in human resources. And, and it is a very confusing time right now. And I'm in the human business, which means that there are a greater number of dynamics in the workplace, more so than ever before, and it requires that extra balance and focus to manage. Importantly, today, this is what we're going to be talking about. We've got some employment law changes across the nation. To be honest with you, you don't have very much because everybody is focused on reopening this country and as well they should be. Um, Main topic today... I have, <laughs> I'm kidding you not, I literally had to wait until he retired for this. I am so excited to have this guy on. He's a flipping genius. I mean, genius. <clears throat> He's been in the HR gig at very, very high levels. You guys are going to love listening to him. Uh, his name is Brad Patrick. He just retired as the Chief Human Resource Officer and Chief of Communications from Valvoline. That's right, Valvoline, and and he's got a heck of a resume. He's he's been, uh, you know, the VP of HR and CHRO for many companies, including Gillette through Procter and Gamble, um, Sarah Lee. He's been Frito Lay, and then also, uh, I mean, he's just impressive to begin with. But he was with Delta Airlines as the vice president of HR on 9/11. He's going to share some of that with you guys. So talk about. Not being, what do you need to do when there are no, like there's no guidance? I mean, imagine what this individual went through. There's, there's nobody wrote any book about what happened when an airplane flies into a building. I mean, seriously. So, so we're we're kind of back to that. Like, what do you do when there's no guidance? So he's going to be bringing a lot of really good stuff to the table. Seriously, you're going to get a heck, heck, heck of a lot out of him. 
I'm going to share with you some upcoming events and then also I'm going to share with you how you can get your best practices and my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. But before we go further, guys, I want to make sure that you guys know that the information available through this podcast is in fact for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, you may go ahead and contact us and I will be happy to go ahead and refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. So our employment, like I said, we don't have a lot of updates going on, but I do have a couple call outs for you guys. So um, heads up that the Department of Labor has released a new model COBRA notice um, to help as it, as it pertains to this mass wave uh, with the COVID uh, pandemic. So if you, if you guys are over 20 uh, employees or more, you guys are required to um, be distributing COBRA notices. And I know a lot of companies are really busy with this right now, but there is a new model level that is out. Also, the IRS has released an FAQ for coronavirus-related retirement plan relief. So you guys are going to want to definitely check that out. Also, the Department of Labor has issued some guidance on new work-sharing programs. The USCIS has updated the M274 Handbook for Employers on how to complete the new I-9 form, which, by the way, you guys need to be using the new I-9 form that came out effective May 1st. Also, the EEOC, big announcement. Oh, my gosh, federal contractors, you are going to love this. Anybody who is more than 100 employees and on up, you're going to love this. There will not be any EEO1 data collected for 2020. The EEOC is not going to collect any data this year. So it's ixnay on the uh, EEO1 report, which is going to be pretty fantastic. For It's going to give a lot of employers some significant release because everything is just absolutely skewed. So as far as states go, usually, you know, if you listen to this, I've got a number of states that are going on. Well, everybody that I've gotten in this week is all about <clears throat> figuring out how to open up the country. It's this state is looking at face coverings. That state is talking about, you know, face coverings plus indoor, outdoor, whatever, right? There's, there's so much that's going on right now. It's really the only thing that I have of one state <laughs> and that's it. You have one state to tell you about and that's Indiana and they're standing out from the crowd, <laughs> I tell you. So there, Indiana does have some new restrictions on physician non-compete agreements and literally that's all I have. <laughs> this is, it's all right now about opening up this country and getting everybody uh, back into the, back into the saddle and moving it forward again, which you know what, we're going to get there sooner rather than later, and we do. We're going to be talking about that next, so I don't want to spoil it by yakking on about it. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future 
to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. one of my mentors on here today, and I'm super excited about it. I, when I became a vice president of HR, I went up after watching this gentleman at a SHRM conference and said, would you please be my mentor? <laughs> he was like, absolutely, it was great. Um, he just retired as the chief human resource officer and communications officer for Valvoline. He's had a very impressive career to include either a chief HRO position or VP of HR position for companies like Gillette, Sara Lee, Frito-Lay, uh, Delta Airlines, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but folks, I would love to introduce you to Brad Patrick. How are you? I'm doing very well, and it's great to be here and to watch all the things you're doing and Aww. helping people and supporting people too, so it's been a blast in our Mentorship. How long have we been mentor-mentee relationship now? I'm trying to think of when that started. Two years. Two years ago. Time. Yeah. For, but no, it's great to see all the things you're doing. And, and now to be on a, a, a podcast with you, it's very exciting. You know, it's, it's great. And then you're going to be on our, which I'm going to share at the end of this episode, you're going to be our guest on our next HR Roundtable. Yep. Looking forward to that as well. Yeah. That's going to be great. So sweet. So my gosh, you have got a dossier of companies. Holy Moses. Yeah, I've been uh, very fortunate and I've had a lot of fun. I think being an HR professional is probably one of the greatest things a person can do. I used to joke that it was a noble career, but as I thought about it, it, it is a noble career. No, it's not. We, are, we are the smiling bear of bad news. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think we do help people. I, I have loved, I've loved the variety. I love meeting people. Um, I've enjoyed working in different industries, which I think HR professionals can do. You know better than some uh, some other professions, but you know we can move. I've been in the airline industry. I spent a lot of time in food and consumer products, and uh, and now that I'm retired from daily corporate life, I'm getting a chance to work with a lot of different other uh, uh, companies and industries as well. Yeah, well, it's kind of neat because you're seeing you're seeing different sides of business, which is really great, and and I enjoy that too. I mean, you know, small business is so unique and so radical from one from the next that. I mean, I have a career flight. I tell people, it's like, I've seen a lot of things done a lot of different ways. And yeah. just because what works for one person doesn't always work for somebody else, but it's highly successful, you know, nonetheless. And, and some of them fail miserably, but every time you just learn something different. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. I think, um, you know, being at so many different organizations, um, you know, you find like you can almost put your hands around the makeup and meaning of each one, you know, by having so many comparisons. I have a lot of respect for people who 
you know, stay and dedicate their service to there's no doubt that's a very positive too. But, but I've enjoyed working with, I don't know, someone counted up, I've worked with 13 different organizations over the years. And you just get a chance to see the dynamics and the, uh, the decision making and the principles the values, the leadership styles, all the different strategies. And, and as long as you suspended, you suspend your judgment about them, and just kind of look and try to understand them, it does give you a lot of meaning. And I think it does help you to grow as an HR professional too, is to, to be aware and, and understand what the world is like around you. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I've shared this with everybody that's listening multiple times is one of my, you know, coined phrases in that it's, it's always about doing what's in the best interest of the employee and doing what's in the best interest of the employer. And that's a very delicate balance that there are days you're going to, you're going to be like nice and even. And then there are times where you're going to be lopsided. And it's just, that's just the nature of this. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's uh, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, working with organizations going through uh, dramatic and transformational change, and that includes things like uh, mergers and acquisitions and divestitures, a business crisis. Um, you know, you and I have talked about. I've played a role in uh, in leading the uh, Delta Airlines yes. in response. To Eleven was a big was it, and to me it was just a learning. It was like a university experience, you know, on steroids. Is <laughs> so much about people and organizations and principles and how to help when you do things like that. You know, I've been involved in plant closures and plant openings and it's just, I've been involved in a lot of big events and have been a change leader in that too. And that's, I just love doing that. And, you know, a big part of that is having the ability to find that equilibrium, that balance you mentioned is, you know, sometimes you need to be leading, instructing, telling and building process. And sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. (laughs) Right. And hear what people are going through and be responsive to that, too. So it really is, a, it's, a, it's magical or maybe even just a skilled approach to finding a balanced way through, um, you know, through decisions and supporting people in a business. The one thing in my career that has always gotten me lit up, and, and this is the reason why I, I do the transition work that I do, is because I watch people come into a situation and then they, and you watch them grow and you watch them shift and you watch them accomplish and you watch them achieve. And then they, be, then they come out of that phase as something that they didn't know that they could be. And I love, I love that part. <clears throat> if there's anything that, that really lights me up and that I will claim a big victory over emotionally is, is watching that happen. And if I've been just a small part of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's what continues to fuel my fire. Yeah. Likewise for me, I, uh, I've enjoyed uh, just supporting HR people as they grow in their careers. And those aha moments, I think a lot of people yes. them is I love to stay close to people and I love to challenge them. I love to have them think broad about things. Um, I, I, I want HR people always to understand you know, why? And to ask the question, like, you know, a lot of times people think, well, Brad, you've written a lot of great business strategy and you help a lot of business. You know, a lot of that just starts with like asking a business, like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> and then just now solving that. And I think right. a lot of people try to get on, on these paths of doing stuff they read in books or what they think is right for the business, but, you know, really get into this practical, what are you trying to do? And then right. asking them, is that doing it? And yeah. uh, I try to be very challenging in that area. Yeah. And, you know, I was, um, so I'm a judge on the Stevie Awards and I was uh, reviewing a, a company that put in for an accomplishment and achievement in HR. And one of the things that they were talking about was this massive, I mean, massive, 
you know, benefits program that they have. Well, I think that's great. But then I, you know, the question that I posed to them was, what has this done to help your business move forward? I mean, I think it's great that you've got all these really great benefits. That's fantastic. And if giving your people 30 days a year off is what's doing it for you, wonderful. Actually, they had 30 days of paid vacation and 13 holidays. And, you know, every year that they're on, they get another day. So, I mean, it's like if you're giving, you know, maximum of two months out to somebody, what is that doing to move your business forward? And if you can't answer that question, I'm not sure you're lining the right target up with the right ammunition to, you know, make the effort go forward. Yeah, I mean, many people that know me well and that have worked closely with me know that one of the first things I'll question are performance management systems. And that's the, you know, that's the very traditional, uh, you know, what many people in HR are famous for, the once or twice a year formal discussion. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I keep asking, you know, how much is that added to the business? How much is that added to people's satisfaction? Now, I, I believe me, I'm a, the number one fan of open, honest feedback. And, and usually my counter program to the once or twice a year performance pro, uh, program is what I call uh, uh, feedback. Uh, it's called a 52 times, 12 times, 52 times, 26, or for goodness sakes, at least 12 times a year feedback. <laughs> program and it's it's a really long program uh, name of the program it takes a really good big notebook to put it in but <laughs> if you're trying to give people uh, feedback 52 uh, 26 or maybe at least you know at least 12 times a year um, in just a discussion conversational caring way you know that's what performance feedback is and I just think that we put so much energy into trying to perfect a once or twice a year method of doing it and I just don't think it's worked out very well so I, I always go in with great suspicion about those programs, and but I do. You ask the question, you know, okay, does this really help? Are people satisfied with it? And, and, you know, I've sat with large groups of uh, employees uh, and a large group of their managers, and I've asked everybody to raise their hand who loves doing performance appraisal. You know, that's when I get to hear the crickets sing in the room. And <laughs> it's they, they don't, and they don't love it. Mm -hmm. Now, many employees love receiving it, and you yeah. know. You know, sometimes it's a necessary evil for people, uh, but but in general, I, I I've always I always want to know what are you trying to do? And are you doing it? If, that, if you think your performance appraisal system's doing it, that's great. But I really want to question to make sure that that's the case. I think that's that's a great point, Brenda. Yeah, and you know, and I'll be honest with you, now, and we're gonna we're gonna really start getting into this, but I'll tell you what, those companies who have not been doing any kind of performance review. And they're now going through, they've been going through these reductions in forces. I guarantee you they are wishing that they had because that is, if they're working with their employment attorneys to do this right, that's a big missing element and it's a risk. So it's like, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't like the, you know, we're going to hit this once and then I'm just going to spend the rest of the year nagging at you later because that's the kind of manager I am. It, that doesn't work. That's not effective. That's not how you get things accomplished. Um, you know, being able to have that two-way dialogue with your employees month after month um, in a wide variety of reasons. I mean, by the time they get a performance review, it shouldn't even be a surprise, you know? Right. It should, if you're doing it right, and you would, you will get out what you invest into it, but with when it comes to reduction in force, and you're hard-pressed as to start making some decisions, that performance review is what makes or breaks a decision sometimes. 
Yeah, no doubt about that. I, you know, uh, one of the things I've had a, had the pleasure of doing in in my experience has been working on due diligence, both at at uh, in purchase, you know, buying businesses for mergers and acquisitions, as well as in the private equity world too. And I've had a chance to do that. And when we do the due diligence, you know, one of the things we look at is we try to understand the management style or the the governance style, how things get done, and. Um, obviously, there's a lot of degrade, you know, grades and gradations of what we do. But you know, the two main character, character characteristics we look at on the continuum is, you know, how controlling, autocratic it is versus how autonomous it is. And you know, once we get an understanding of that, that gives us a starting point to think about how to move the business forward. Right. You know, very autocratic, controlling world, which is the default in many cases. You know, many people have this, this strong idea to create certainty for themselves and to run a business is to get control. And you will find that the, the, the place is driven by policies and, and uh, procedures and things like that. And then you go away on the other side of the continuum, and it definitely is a continuum. Yeah. You have a much more autonomous, trust-based environment that has clear purpose and vision and mission. You know, all the things that people write about. And based upon that understanding, you know, we can make a determination about the value of the business, the flexibility and the adaptability of the business, the ability for the business to perform in crisis like the ones we have now, or how maybe rigid it's going to be and how difficult it's going to be. So that's a, a main assessment that we make along the way. But, but you're right, as, as we talk and as I, we talk to large numbers of people on podcasts or in groups or in consulting, you know, we do try to get underneath the covers a little bit and kind of figure out what's the mindset that exists there. Yep, exactly. Speaking of mindsets, <clears throat> boy, has everybody had a shift. Holy yes. cow. We have all of us and we're still figuring it out. And, you know, like we talked about, you know, for this particular episode, one of the biggest challenges that people are up against, <clears throat> and this, this totally falls in line with my number one rule in life, but really it's like, what do, what do you do when there's no guidance? And you know, my number one rule in life that I live and die by is that in the absence of information, people make stuff up because we don't like ambiguity. We don't like not being able to justify something. We don't, we don't like, I mean, if you don't believe me, just take a look at the dating world. <laughs> just like, oh my yeah. God, maybe he's going to call me. He <laughs> fell into a ditch. I don't know. It's good. You know, so we come up with all of these reasons as to why somebody didn't like fall in love with us right away. And now we're happily married. I mean, it's just, it's the same, same thing. And, um, and, and there is, and we still, even though we've got stuff coming out, we still have more questions than we do answers. And it'll yeah, be like that's that. very. That's very, very true. I, you know, uh, also folks that know me and the organizations I work with know that, you know, I'm always working to build trust and trustworthiness with our leadership team and among all of our people in the business overall. And usually the enemy that we, we create in our mind, and you can even create a little monster if you want here and put a picture in your head. But, you know, we do worry about fear. You know, the words like psychological safety comes in here, but really, really the main, main point that I want all the HR people that I work with to know about is the uh, is uncertainty and uncertainty of I've always said this is a poison in an organization. It's the uncertainty monster that uh, that create it forces people to do things that they work outside of who they are necessarily. And what they're doing is they people don't like uncertainty. They will create yeah. stories that are so bad to protect themselves from being uncertain. And Brenda, you're aware of my you know when I go in a chance to speak to groups and and work with organizations, you know, I tell this long, long animated story as I do on stage, waving my arms. <laughs> uh, 
hooking you up at your home and doing all the things that are very nice for you and, and engaging you and empowering you and, and getting ready to drive you somewhere in my car and allowing you to be free to, you know, adjust the air conditioning, the radio. And, and I definitely want you to put your seatbelt on because Lord knows safety is the most important thing to us and, and all that. And, and as I do this in this big, long animated story, you know, I could see crowds of 10 to 100 to 800 you know, growing, growing more and more um, uneasy and looking at each other. You could tell their brains are working. And I usually pick some poor soul in the front row. Uh, row. That's always, you know, an, a, a signal to stay out of the front row, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but what the crowd usually responds to, and the many, many times I've done that, is they yell out that I'm going to take them out in the woods and shoot them, right? And I just wanted, well, wait a second. I just was a great manager or supervisor, right? I was just so caring about you. I cared about your safety and your, I've empowered you and I've engaged you. And I've done all the happy things I'm supposed to do that the supervisor book tells me to do. But what's happened is, and the crowd always gets it in my fun and ways of doing it, is that I haven't, I haven't provided any level of certainty to you. I haven't given you the direction where we're going. And, um, and so you, it's just an example of that. And if you stand around a water cooler long enough, you know, that's how people get to know each other. They usually go and they say something negative. Um, one of my Bradisms is a cafeteria of, uh, theory, a cafeteria food theory of life where, you know, everybody complains about the food, but no one's ever starved to death. Um, that's right. But they make up stuff to connect to people. And then when there's uncertainty, that's when the stories begin to, uh, you know, uh, pile up on each other. So, to me, that's the enemy. The enemy is to figure out that little uncertainty monster. And I asked all my HR professionals that I support and lead is, you know, your job is to eliminate uncertainty and if in the bet, you know, or if you can't eliminate it all, you know, let's try to minimize, it. let's try to minimize it. And, um, you know, in, in the work that we do and the, in how we communicate and how we support people and how we make decisions. Yep. Well, you know, even if you're wrong, you can still be wrong and be certain on a, on a certain path or course. You know, you can still be wrong, but as long as you keep moving in a direction and you're clearly communicating and you're clearly open about what's going on, people aren't gonna, I mean, they'll, they'll smash you for being wrong. <laughs> yeah, but, well, but I, I think also people have to deal with uh, being humble or, you know, humility is a big part yeah. that, we, uh, that people talk about. But yes, I. I think sometimes when people make decisions and they are wrong and I've made wrong decisions before, but uh, ego and other concerns or, you know, be, you know, feel like you're weak or don't have a relationship with people where you're worried about managing your per personality and your position with them. Uh, people then make decisions to protect themselves by, you know, you know, staying wrong longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it takes a humble, trustworthy leader to say, you're right. And, uh, you know, when you get to decisions, if you're at the, working at the hourly level or in a union of shop or, uh, and you do something that sometimes you just need to give people back pay and just know that your company's not going out of business, probably, hopefully it's not. Uh, and that, that, that the humbleness and humility actually does build trust in people. Yeah. Also, and when you communicate, I would also encourage another factor is you need to tell people when you make decisions, why you made the decisions. And if you're that type of company that has really good, clear purpose, mission, and values, you compare it to that. If, if you're just starting out on that journey, um, you know, explain people why you're doing it. And then if you're wrong, 
you know, here's what I was thought I was doing and you're humble and you, you have some humility there and you, you fix it. And I think that's a, that's a good part of those um, healthier, more agile organizations that I think many of us are pursuing. Yeah. So here we are in this weird time <clears throat> where we had this, we had warning of a, of a pandemic coming our way. I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't a sudden thing. I mean, it came up on us quick, but it wasn't like we woke up one morning and everybody coughed at the same time. And all of a sudden we, we have an issue. So we've had a little time to figure this out, but imagine, and you've, you've done this. I mean, can, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to get that phone call and say, Brad, two planes just crashed into the world trade center. And now everybody's being grounded in less than an hour. Yeah, I can I can think about that today, and I have a. I mean, it just all, it still puts a pit in my stomach. It still makes me yeah, feel hollow and numb. It is. I was new at Delta at the point, and I really enjoyed being there, and and I was taking on the role of being the global HR leader, uh, supporting the chief operating officer uh, for the operations globally. Um, reported to us, CHRO very. Uh, uh, talented leader we had there. But uh, yeah, I was new and I was new to the airline industry too. So I was a newbie and, um, you know, Delta is such a great culture, but yeah, the, the, the definition of uncertainty just overwhelms you. Um, and it's not, it's everybody, right? It's everybody's got their toe in the same line of the world is uncertain. We didn't know what was happening. And, and uh, we were watching it on TV there at Delta. And it's just, uh, it's just in a, a an amazing numb feeling. And there's, you know, some of that here today, although it wasn't a single event, as you said, it did take some time to develop. And I will tell you, uh, you know, one of my uh, uh, views that I've developed over the years um, is uh, another enemy in the crew of, uh, in the gang of, of enemies out there that joins the uncertainty monster is the arrogance monster. And, you know, I think we can admit that back in 9-11, there was an arrogance around safety there. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think there's some arrogance here for this pandemic. Now, I, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds or uninformed here, but I, I do believe, you know, we didn't have signals it was coming. And, and we've also, you know, knew about other viruses and things in the past. And there probably was a sense of arrogance in there. And I think arrogance is something that we always look for as well um, and happening. But, but the thing at Dell, I mean, I, I would tell you a healthy, strong culture, culture reacted to that very well. I have to give a lot of credit to the people of Delta back then. Um, you know, it was an organization that was, it's known for its long tradition and great employment. Um, it, it was an organization that still, you know, that had a lot of approvals and a lot of requirements. I had a, you know, team of uh, HR people all around the world and, and I knew when I was there, I spent a lot of time, you know, giving permission to everything. I always use the the, the story about I had to approve uh, the purchase of a birthday cake in one of the airports around the world. And it was just an organization that required a lot of authoritarian type approvals. Now, a very healthy culture, very committed workforce. But when 9-11 happened, the thing that, that I learned the most, and I'm just so amazed that it taught me a great deal, is that when you have a strength of purpose, when you're all your workforce shares, like, what are you about? Um, that was very powerful. And what happened is I used to, when I walked to my office, I used to have to walk through a large room that had these paneled walls and I never knew much about it. But when 9-11, when it was unfolding, actually planes hitting and news reports coming and people scrambling to figure out, 
you know, Delta Airlines as an environment was very quiet and very focused. And people went and they opened up these walls and these big plastic bins and they began setting up these incredible like little stations. And these stations had tripods and it had little signs that said customer and operation. And it had a whole, it was all, and they, they just did it. There wasn't a single meeting to coordinate it. There wasn't a single leader who stood up and said, go do that. It, it was an environment that was like, to this day, I'm just thinking about the power of alignment and purpose. Mm-hmm. Those great, great people at Delta, they did what they needed to do for a purpose. And, um, you know, I had a, a, an HR professional who rented all of the buses in a city to take care of passengers. I'm thinking, what is the procedure to rent all of the city buses? Uh, who do you even call? There's not a hotline to rent all the bus. And people were doing things, you know, up in Newfoundland, there uh, people rented armories and, and uh, speakers and sound equipment and, uh, and things to communicate and to gather people. They bought food. They bought, you know, they got water and food for passengers. They started renting all the cars at Avis and, uh, and other cares. I, I think it was one of the most powerful lessons to me in removing all the garbage that people are supposed to think about every single day and go do what you're supposed to do for a purpose. And I, I, I carry that with me for many years and I still do. I, I just have so much faith in people to do the right thing um, and, and know that many times managers, companies, environment situations create reasons for people not to do it or to, uh, you know, or struggle with it. I was so impressed with the Delta Airlines culture and the workforce and just people were doing what they needed to do. Yeah, that's empowerment at its best. That's, that's empowerment in action right there. I mean, I, I'm with you. I never would have thought to lease every bus in the city. Yeah, I just, it, people, <clears throat> it, was, it was a spur of the moment reaction. Like, what are we gonna do for our passengers? And they took care of them. And I have so much, uh, you know, so much, uh, I, I, you know, so many great feelings and so much learning from that too. And I've tried to apply that. You know, I look back, uh, you know, being a part of a plant closing, which, I, you know, anytime a business lays people off or closes, I always struggle with it. I always, I worry if the business wasn't thinking or it, it's a, just a, it's a failure. But we, we, we ended up, I, we, I was involved in a plant closing. And this plant out of, uh, the 40 plus plants we had was the number was the worst performing plant we had. Had a lot of problems, issues, I'm sure leadership, all kinds. It was a, it was a mess, but you know, our company evaluated to close it. And then of course you have to worry about the Warren act. So they wanted to notify people 60 days in advance. And I thought, nah, we're going to tell people what we know when we know it, we're going to be a trustworthy organization. And I, if you can imagine a lot of top leaders said, well, this is just a chance for sabotage and people faking claims and things like that. And, and I, I never found that to be the case. And um, what I actually found is this facility that was ranked 45 out of 45 in performance, um, when you cleared out all the stuff and they became focused on one thing, um, they, they actually went out being a top ranked facility and wow. it closed and it was done with a lot of pride and a lot of support. Now, you know, you know, as an organization, we provided a lot of support too, but those people, you know, were dealing with uncertainty in their lives and changing jobs and taking care of their families. And we tried everything we could, but still it's a tough situation. But uh, people generally, I just have a feeling that people generally want to do the right things. And that's just how I start everything. 
Um, you know, are there bad people, evil people? I don't know. I try to start out with uh, giving them every chance and, and providing all the support we can. And, and I have not been let down yet. And, um, you know, we've added up over my life. Uh, I've probably been involved in about the reduction of about 50,000 people. And that's tragic and sickening in large part because it impacts families and communities and, and a lot of things. Um, and if businesses do it, you hope it's right. And um, I'll challenge it all the way as far as I can. But if we can do everything we can to minimize or eliminate that uncertainty, uh, that's the thing to do. And, and many people went on to go do many, many you know, positive things and get their life going and very positively. And I'm sure there's some that struggled, but, you know, what can we do to take away that uncertainty? That was, that's been my, uh, my driving goal. Yeah. You, I love how you're here talking about, you know, the position of a, 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 a real leader, but a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, and I know because and I know who these guys are, um, they're individuals that are influencers, but they're not decision makers. They are, you know, that army of one in a company and they don't have that strength and leadership that you're talking about and you're demonstrating and they see the cracks that are occurring, but they don't have, uh, I wouldn't say they don't have the moxie, that's not the right word, but they don't have the ability to step in and say, hey, listen, I'm going to challenge this because I think I should have a seat at the table. It's more like, man, I wish I had a seat at the table yeah. and, and I can say this is and I'm blue in the face and nothing is still going to happen. How do people like that deal with individuals who are not like you in that mindset? And I know these guys need to know this. Yeah, I, that's a great point. And I, I see that as well, Brenda. I know that in uh, probably what you're talking about is a lot of positional power to positional Absolutely. authority right, is a big part of it. And, and also where each, you know, each, each organization has its business need for HR and it's different. And we've talked about that in the past about it. You know, some models are there for administration and, and making the business flow, some there for consulting and some there for the, you know, strategic, but all three of those models are very important. But, but the, really what you're talking about, and, and I think it's very important right now, HR plays a very important role in businesses and your workforces need you now more than ever. Yep. Now, how do you deal with it? Well, when it comes to leadership, I'll, I'll always make this point and I'm sure people have heard it and it's a tired old saying, but leadership is not a job title. It's a choice. And I think you, you as an HR professional have the opportunity to make the choice to lead and influence. Influence is the right word many times. Yep. When you think about influence, influence can be done with in a lot of you know, approaches. And one is through data and information. One is through feedback from people across the organization. Some is by accessing best practices at other organizations and what other people are doing. And I think this podcast and the work you do outside of this podcast is a great resource for people to share and, and to grab those best ideas. As I, we always say here to steal shamelessly. <laughs> Think shamelessly. The shameless plug. You're right. I think this is a grand time for HR people to look at what they're doing, to evaluate what they're doing and the consequences of the impact of what they're doing. And I think that the real savvy HR people, and this isn't something that's, you know, starts, you know, today is Tuesday and it's all Wednesday. It's all starts. Sometimes you have to build it. Sometimes it is immediate, but uh, you learning how to insert yourself and how to navigate and how to be a resource of information. You know, many top business managers, um, you know, they, they're not necessarily schooled and, and professional experts in the area of people guidance and development and all that. 
and they're many times are doing the best they can. This is me being um, forgiving and, and, uh, and not assuming bad intent. But, um, you know, as an HR professional, you, what I always call, you have this unique perspective. You get out of bed every day, you put your feet in the floor, and you're a person who, who thinks about uh, how people work, how they show up to work, how they work with each other, the rules and laws and guidance, the things that guide us. Uh, the relationships between people by the nature of your conversations. And that's a very powerful thing that really nobody else in your business has at the same, you know, the same degree, the same level. And I think that's very important to use in your leadership influence. Mm -hmm. You use it. That's the savvy part. That's you reading your environment, finding people who align, finding people who are interested, finding people who are in need and being useful and valuable to them. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, it's important that you, you know, you bring ideas. I, I always ask my HR people, I say, you're a staff position many times and, and your role is to give managers, supervisors, executives, at least three choices. I think choice is the most yep. respectful thing you can do to somebody, but that means you should talk about the plus and minus consequences of each choice. And then you should give them the one you think they should do. So give people three choices. Tell them the consequences of each one, what the outcome and impact of each one's going to be, and then tell them one that you think is best for their situation and the environment around you. That's how you become a leader in HR. Even if your role has been traditionally very administrative and process-driven and compliance-oriented, you can add value to a business in that way. And that's just not with just managers and executives. You can do that with employees. And I think that's why the HR role is such a wonderfully special role. Um, is that you play this unique perspective in the business that nobody has. Yeah. And that, and that really is, I love how you put it because that's exactly what I've done for years is, and I put it in the fashion of it's like, okay, here's your situation. And here's, you, you got a couple of options. One, if you want to go super conservative and do the most that you can to protect the business, here's what you do. And if you want to go like ultra on the other side of that spectrum, you know, here's what you want. But if you really want to pay it close to that fine line, this is where you're going to have to, this is where you can meet in that middle if you want to take that calculated risk. And, you know, depending on the subject matter, if it's, you know, very clear cut, like for instance, it's a very clear cut case of, you know, hostile work environment. I'm more conservative than anything else because we know through the privilege of litigation what you need to do here's what you do. You stop this, you say this, you do this, you correct that, you have them do this and blah, 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 call it a day. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you don't do that, you, we and I just simply say that you just simply weaken your position. That's all you do is you weaken your position. I mean, you're wrong. doesn't mean you're right. You just strengthen or weaken your position. And you know, for the folks that are listening, and I know there's quite a few people and they get into that HR role it's a very black and white situation and they learn through the pain that there are multiple shades of gray. There's no straight line to success in HR. It usually yeah. comes by putting a piece of cheese on a mouse and then watching them go all over the place and trying to figure out where it is. And that's just the nature of it. Yeah. And so, you know, the, source, the source of a lot of um, debate and angst and made credibility issues with line managers or executives and supervisors and all that and it's a short-term versus long-term thing many times in the consequences where, you know, many business managers, they're held accountable for, you know, short-term results, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly results. And they're looking at that. And, and that's what they're many times are supposed to do. And, 
And I know HR people many times are caught into that little bit short-term, long-term thing a little bit, and that's hard. And I think, you know, one way through it, because every situation is going to be different, is that HR people need to recognize that. Yeah. And they need to say things like, I get what you're talking about, this being a short-term impact, but let me, let's talk about the long-term aspects of right. it. And, and you're going to find that, you know, many times top executives, they're on, you know, they have to, if you're in a publicly traded company, you've got to tell a quarterly story, right? Yep. So you've got to be careful with every penny in some, in some businesses. However, there's really a great opportunity for HR people to, you know, if, if we know from learning how to be a debate, you know, uh, participant in a debate contest is you have to start with your strongest argument, but also recognize the counter argument. And I think that's important. You know, one of the things I've been working with a number of businesses on during this time here is that many people automatically went to layoff uh, right away. That was their first reaction. Yep. Uh, and I understand that. I do understand that that is, it seems like a fair approach, I guess. However, I've tried to get people to understand to be more creative. And um, you know, that's what we did at, you know, at Delta for the 9-11 response was we came up with ways to deal with, you know, all the other airlines used their seniority list and had to abide by their union contracts. And Delta is predominantly non-union. Uh, and they used their seniority list and they had an established procedure. You know, all those procedures are written for everyday life and they're not always best suited for crisis, right? No one's yes. sat down with a 9-11 policy book. So those the airlines use those procedures and their cultures demanded that and that was the right thing to do. But at Delta, we we knew that we had a right thing to do. We didn't know what that was. So uh, my team of very bright people, they came up with voluntary leave programs. They came up with four of them that had a con different combinations of compensation and benefits and flight benefits and recall rights. And it was a it was a wonderfully thoughtful and unique set of programs. And they came up with those programs with the idea of minimizing uh, layoffs, furloughs, um, because Delta at that point had never laid off a flight attendant before. They had 19,000 plus flight attendants and never laid one off. Wow. And it was a very important time, and that's a very important thing to understand. So we really worked hard to minimize, did not have to do any you know, forced required furloughs. Mm -hmm. happens we offered those voluntary programs and um, actually 2,000 more people took the program than we needed to have leave, you know, to leave the business and we accommodated that because once again we gave people a choice and it was one of the most respectful things we can do but I still think even today this many years later that hopefully that giving people a choice treating people in a unique special way um, you know added to their great culture I, I think that's a positive and likewise with the businesses I'm working with here, I'm trying to get them to think about uh, work share, um, reduced hours, reduced pay if we need to, uh, managing the work. Just ha take take on less work. You're in a crisis. Do less work. But do a lot of things before you have to get to the most tragic of letting people go. And hopefully, eventually, you need to rehire people in the future. But now you've lost people you build a relationship with, you build a culture with. It's you should be doing everything in your power to do it. But, you know, many times executives and managers and supervisors, they just are they have so many things going on in their mind about their business performance. It's the fastest thing to do is to cut people. And um, I think HR people have to carry that story and they have to go look for best practices and reinforcing ideas to, to offer that creativity. And, and, and when a manager look, they don't know how to do it, then you've got to be the one to lead the way. On, on how to make it happen and how to communicate. And uh, all that can be done. And I know I'm dumping a lot of 
this on HR people, but I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And no matter what level you are in HR, um, you can have an opportunity to lead. And, yeah. um, and it's the choices you make and how you do it and how savvy you are to pull that off. And that's the exciting part. Once again, I, I love being an HR professional. I think it's one of the most incredible things somebody can do as a profession that has, that just is it's just good. It's just, it's just a good life in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Challenges, but I, I think that it really does. Uh, it's a great way to contribute. Yeah. Something that you're, as you're discussing this, <clears throat> you know, at some point in time, and I just literally, before we got on, I just delivered a webinar on uh, how to communicate, you know, bringing people back from the coronavirus, from, you know, the mass exodus, so to speak. But um, one of the things that I mentioned was talking about making sure that, you know, too, as a leader, that, you know, stand up for what you believe within a certain level of reason. So I was talking to one of my clients on, on Sunday, who owns a restaurant. He's one of the few people here that actually has an outdoor seating area. And the state is making concessions for restaurant owners to open back up fully, um, which is amazing to me. And I want to sidebar this because I have this written down. It's amazing that as of this, what we've created, we've created a whole new level of commerce called curbside commerce. That's another discussion. But anyway, I just think it's cool that these, these new things, I mean, it's like we figure this stuff out, right? But anyway, so one of his major concerns is that the, you know, the state is requiring in an outdoor environment that wait staff continue to wear masks as they serve a limited amount of employees. And, and his concern, you know, coming from a, a Navy medics point of view is that one, you know, those masks get moist over time, over, over time. So like I'm from New York over time. And then on top of it, if you have to all of a sudden find yourself in an, in an up pace, you're constantly breathing back in the carbon dioxide that you just, you know, exhaled. And that could potentially drive a little bit of a risk for some hypoxia. And, and he's not wrong. I mean, he's absolutely right. And, you know, he's like, I'm not going to require my people to do this because I don't think it's safe. I, you know, and so he has to stand up for what we believe. But then that comes back to, it's like, how do we move forward when there really is no guidance or, or when you have opposing view of the guidance that's in the best interest of employees? Other employees are coming back and saying, look, not just him, but with other people, because I'm seeing this too, they're saying, I don't want to wear a mask. That should be my choice as a, as a grown-up, as somebody who's fully capable of managing my own medical profile. I don't want to wear a mask. I think it does induce the risk. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong. Well, you're, there's, you're right. I, I go back to you know, my Brad's favorite question is, what are you trying to do? Exactly. <laughs> And what are you trying to do? You're trying to, you know, keep individuals safe. You're trying to not, you know, you're trying to, you know, right. stop the spread of infection. So, okay, that's great. If the mask offers issues, and, and believe me, so many things that we're going through right now, there's so many what ifs. There's cascading yeah. levels of what if and what if, and how do you handle this and how do you handle this? And the, in the, the nature of a crisis is, uh, that's why it's a crisis. It's, we don't know. That's right. Yeah, so you can't be stuck in those things. So yeah, that's a tough one. I, I think it is a tough and it's a what if, what if, and mm -hmm. you got to step back and you got to think about what are we trying to do? And then you got to go solve that. And the, right. and the, the solve for what you just mentioned is let's make sure that people feel safe, are safe. We're not spreading this, this horrific virus. And that, that's the creation of new answers um, yep. uh, as, as we go do things. And, and, 
you know, as I've learned in managing mergers and acquisitions and integrations and things like that, you know, it's always important to have some leadership and a direction and all that. But likewise, it's always important to be able to listen, understand, and evaluate. Yep. And being a little bit humble, sometimes we step back and reword something, we restructure something and all that. And you have to find that sweet balance, that sweet equilibrium, yep. providing guiding, strong, confident, trust-building leadership and and you know, being, you know, being able to take input and integrate that into what you're doing. But um, you know, we see it right now. I've been on a lot of conference calls here in the state of Kentucky about uh, unemployment and there's three federal programs and one state program and how do they work together and they conflict against one another. And, and all those are wonderful, wonderfully great philosophical debates that we can all sit around and do, but you as a business leader gotta keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> Right? It gets down to that point where you got to choose what you're going to do and, 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 and use all the best information you can. I think it's good to get input from people. I think it's good to steal best practices and, you know, take advantage of people who already screwed it up. <laughs> best thing to do. But, and to be very clear as you communicate, this is the direction we're going. This is what we're doing. These are the inputs. This is why we're doing this. These are the values and principles that we've, we think we're enforcing and then go lead people with it. That's gonna take their uncertainty away. Now, does that mean you're right? It, it doesn't guarantee that you're right, but at least it gets you everybody on the same page that they're gonna solve it with you. And uh, there are gonna be people who debate, and, and if you ever believed as an HR professional, you're there to make everybody happy. If we got paid to make people happy, there'd be a lot of HR people starving to death. <laughs> uh, oh, you've gotta do something. Oh my gosh, no kidding. You've gotta do things that, uh, you know, that people understand. And, you know, I'll use from my, you know, my labor background, work now, grieve later. And that, that is a really nice rule to follow unless obviously you put somebody in harm's way or safety issues, right. but outside right. of safety and critical environment, work now, grieve later is a better way to do things. And, um, you know, being a caring, considerate, listening leader, you know, work now, let's do this. And if we made a mistake, Lord knows I'll do everything to fix it. You know, yeah. it, you can commit. it doesn't mean you're going to, or you will have to do something different or pay people or back pay people, but just know that you're listening, you factored in their concerns, their voice has been heard, but you've made the best decision for the environment, for the, you know, for the protection of many, for the consideration of each. Yeah. Um, and, and lead your business, support your business. Uh, it's, this is the wonderfully hard stuff to do that makes us unique people in a business as HR professionals. Yep. Uh, that draws from, business management, financial capabilities, operational capabilities, psychology, uh, philosophy. Yep. Uh, we draw from all those to be great at what we're doing. And, um, and uh, we just have to accept that role and to be, you know, and to do this with, a, you know, some character and some, um, and, and, and care for people and you'll get to the right answer. Uh, one of my Bradisms for all the teams I've ever led is to, I always ask them to promise me two things. Don't make a decision that kills anybody and stay off the of CNN. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's just, you know, that's just fair is that I support you for making decisions to take care of people. And I want them to have the uh, self-confidence and know my care and support and love for them. Um, that if we make a mistake or we try something different that, you know, it didn't qualify in one of those two horrible categories, but, um, you just got to go do things and you can explain yeah. why you did it. You didn't have any bad intent, but, um, mm -hmm. keep, you know, keep rocking on. Let's make it a, a great place to work and let's be a successful business.
And you know, in HR, there's very little that we can't fix. Seriously, there really is. I mean, the only thing we can't fix is death. And yeah. you know, we could we'll we'll learn from it, we'll adapt, we'll we'll do it better the next time because you know that comes with experience. And you know, one of my clients um, who's probably listening to this, but I'm going to borrow what he tells his people all the time. They're in the process of you know figuring out how to move their business board, and they have been for a little while. And, you know, putting processes and things together and the way he explains it is that this is like flying an airplane and building it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to learn and you're, and learning isn't always fun, but most of the time it is. I mean, it's just like, you know, I learned how to do something. And then when I'm really excited that I finally conquered something that I've been after for an extended period of time, people start looking at me like I've got three heads because I'm giggling. I'm like, <laughs> look at what I got done, you know? And I'm just like, yay, I'll take that victory. Because yeah, the other side of the coin is not fun. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, and as an HR professional working with so many great organizations, you know, you've been able to almost, to some degree, watch the organization grow. And that's so fun and so rewarding. And sometimes you could even step back and you can almost predict the ahas in some areas. And that's the fun part to listen to. But, you know, for an organization to grow, it's pretty complex, usually. And to grow and to learn and to follow its, you know, patterns and its principles and for leaders to come, you know, to, to come to life and leaders are everywhere, right? for managers to develop better skills. It's a fun thing to do. And, you know, as an HR professional, you're part of it. It's that unique perspective. And I, I, I hold it dearly. And I think it's the most fun I've, you know, I've ever had. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. This has been fun. It's been a blast. It's been a blast listening to all your podcasts. I actually have a few I've got to go catch up on. You're going <laughs> out faster than I can keep up with them. So, and I know you're having fun as well. So oh, yeah. Uh, doing it. I appreciate you inviting me. It's fun to see you and, uh, and to be with you and, uh, and to you. speak again. Absolutely. And I look forward to you being on the HR Roundtable. That's going to, that's going to be great. You're going to, you're going to get some pretty good, you're going to get some pretty good questions coming out of that. So yeah, sign me up. I love talking to HR people. I, it's, <laughs> it's the most wonderful thing a person can do. So uh, I appreciate everybody out there doing the work you're doing, you know, keep, keep making your workplaces better and take care of your, uh, the people that, uh, that have committed their time to you. And I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful existence for you to have. So we had some really bummer news that <laughs> took place on Monday. And, and I think quite a few people knew it was coming. But unfortunately, the Society of Human Resource management has canceled the annual conference. I think this is like the first time in history where uh, this conference, I think, don't quote me on it, but I'm, I'm pretty positive. It's the first time it's happened. And um, it's a real drag. I know a lot of people, you know, we look forward to going. I look forward to going. It rejuvenates me. It re-energizes me. Um, it gets me in front of really awesome people. I wind up meeting a bunch of HR professionals and, and it's just, and it's awesome, right? So, Oh, yeah, we got that big news. But SHRM 21 is actually going to be taking place in Chicago next year. And if you've never attended a SHRM conference or uh, and you've got like all that pent up energy that's going on and you want to learn how to make the most of your SHRM events, uh, I've launched a new free course. There's no obligation for anything. It's over on the HR University site. 
um, you can go ahead. It's called Making the Most of Your Sherm Convention. Feel free to go ahead and take a look at it. You're welcome. It was based off of a seminar that I gave or a little webinar that I gave to the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. There's also a free downloadable checklist that will help you prepare for it as well. So you guys are welcome to take a look at it. So if you go to bestpractices.org, click on HR University up at the top in the menu, and that'll take you actually over to uh, the site where you can go ahead and, you know, spend a little time getting excited about it all over. So we got like a whole year to get excited about it now. But the cool part is, is that if you have registered, um, if you haven't gotten the notice and you don't know what to do just yet, if you have already registered and you paid your your fees to attend, what they're allowing you to do is to actually take those and apply it to next year's event. So it's a fun time though. Doing doing Chicago, doing Sherm Chicago is pretty awesome. Uh, last last time we did it was over at the McCormick Center, which is just this massive, beautiful um, civic center that overlooks uh, Lake Michigan. You, the skyline is gorgeous. It just so happened it was the hottest day on record ever for the month that we did it. So we had like two days of 100 degree weather, which is very, very strange over in Chicago at that time of the year. Uh, but it was, you know, third day was like 70 degrees, so it worked out really great. But it's an absolute fantastic time. Um, the shuttles actually give you a unguided tour through Chicago uh, back and forth from the hotels because none of them are within walking distance. So it, it's it's pretty great. The Chicago show is, is absolutely fantastic. So I, I highly recommend that if you're considering going to Sherm next year, definitely go uh, Chicago is a heck of a heck of a town to do it in. And then I can't wait to see where we're going after that. So, because I need a change of scenery and I'm in and out of Chicago quite a bit for family. So I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> That's how that works. All right. So you guys know, I am always interested in hearing about your HR questions. We are continuing to hold on HR questions right now because we're focused in on the COVID-19 pandemic. We're just Let's get everybody through this. Let's all get through this as best as we can. And then as it continues to just kind of calm down, uh, then we're going to start bringing the HR questions back. But I'd love to hear what you have to ask. And matter of fact, um, I've got an episode that's coming up. Unfortunately, a lot of the planned programming for this year was pushed back due to, you know, the coronavirus little surprise that we got, <clears throat> a little post-Christmas gift that we got. But um but that, you know, I've got a whole episode that's dedicated to a question that somebody has submitted, and it is a phenomenal question. I can't wait to get to it, but uh, we got to get through what we get through first. And then also, um, this month, we are focusing in on the our salute to the armed services uh, that day that's going to be taking place May 16th. We're dedicating time to this um, to say thank you to our troops by helping you guys figure out how you can help them. So we've got some pretty fantastic guests coming up. Uh, we've got Stacy Shea. She is the wife of Navy SEAL Tom Shea, and uh, they have uh, a new book. He's got a new book coming out. We're going to actually have him. He's coming on to talk about his book, which I love the title of it, and I know Tom's work, so it's... I, yeah, I can't wait till you guys talk to him. So that's going to be in the early part of July. Um, but Stacy's going to come and talk to us about what it is that we can do to help support spouses, working spouses in our environment who are married to 
those who are in the, in the armed services. You know, how do you, what do you do when somebody's spouse deploys or God forbid, what happens if, you know, the next of kin officers show up and, you know, notify you that somebody has passed while they've been out on deployment. It's, there's some pretty, really great takeaways. And she's got a very unique perspective coming from the SEAL teams, which reinforces ideally what should happen. And it does happen in the SEAL teams, but it doesn't, but that close knitness that she's talking about, and I know knitness really wasn't a real word, but we'll roll with that. Um, what she's talking about really should be happening. So it kind of gives you some, some things to dial into. Um, also, we've got Navy SEAL Andy Arabito coming on, and Andy's such a nice guy. I love talking to Andy. He's so great. But uh, Andy is a Andy is an entrepreneur. He a prolific entrepreneur. He's got some pretty cool things going on. But he also, um, you know, has a, a veteran workforce that he brings in. And uh, there's some things, and he can speak from both sides. He can speak from, you know, what it's like being a veteran you know, in a work environment, but he can also talk to you about what he does for his team and not just veterans as a whole, but, you know, as his team as a whole too, but you know, they kind of go hand in hand. So there's a little bit of a shift in the mindset there. And, um, and lastly, we've got a pal of mine. I just can't wait till you guys talk to her. She's great. Her name is Janie Livesay. She is the program director for uh, the Honor Foundation here in the Virginia Beach area. She's somebody that I've been working with for quite a while. Um, she's an awesome lady. We, we tend to bounce things off of each other. Um, and she's going to be, we're going to be talking to you together. She's going to be on talking to you guys about how to hire an elite warrior. So it's a very unique perspective that we both have in working with, um, you know, Navy SEALs, Green Beret, uh, a wide variety of other, uh, service and support in Naval Special Warfare, um, over in, uh, Marine Raiders and, uh, you know, Army side, Air Force side, everybody, right? So we got, we uh, basically spe spec ops or special operations. So <clears throat> that's that's a nice uh, that's a nice interview. We had a good time talking about that. So I'm looking forward to having you guys hear all this, and I'm going to invite you guys to something that we just started doing over in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. Um, everybody is sick and tired of webinars. <laughs> They really are. I'm tired of them. I've sat through a number of them. I've been delivering them. I love delivering them. But at the same time, it just, we're all saturated with information. We cannot, we literally cannot download and absorb anything else in this field. We're tired. It's been frustrating. We still have more questions than we do answers. We need real conversations in real time with real people. And there's some maybe changes that are going to be coming up. So I'm going to invite you, you guys are welcome to do this, but you have to get to it through the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. So this is what it is. We, a couple weeks ago, we hosted an HR roundtable. We had 25 people show up. We had 12 people, 25 people signed up, 12 people showed up. And it was something that we made available on the replay. So if they weren't able to attend, they could see what it was that we talked about. And it went over fantastically. I mean, holy cow, it was great. We did 90 minutes. Uh, the first hour was a structured conversation. And then the back half, or in the back 30 minutes of it, we actually had just like an open forum. And, it, and I loved it. Everybody else loved it. Great feedback. Super excited about it. So we're going to do another one where I'm going to invite you guys to come in. You're welcome to sign up for it. So here's how you do it. 
You go over to Facebook, join the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. Remember, when you join, you have to ask the questions, or you have to answer the questions that I'm asking. Man, I'm saying my words all backwards today, aren't I? You have to answer, there's, there's three questions. If you don't answer them, you're going to wind up getting a little love note that says, would you please answer them? And if we don't, then, you know, because we're collecting information, and, and this information is how can we help you? That's what it's based off of. What are your goals? What are your challenges, right? So how can we help you? So those questions are important for you in order to come on in because we really want to make sure that the people are coming in are serious about what they're doing. They're not just joining another group and then ditching it, okay? We really want the conversation. So once you're in, go to the events page in the group and then you'll see uh, the, the link to go ahead and sign up for the HR Roundtable. If you can't make it, sign up because you will be able to pick it up on the replay. Now, the cool part is, is that this is a precursor that I intend to be doing this on a more regular basis. And next episode, I'm going to share with you how we're going to go about doing that. So we've got changes to the membership program that are coming down the pike. This HR roundtable is one of them. So it's pretty cool. I'm really excited about it. I mean, really, we all walked away. We were on cloud nine. It was it was absolutely great. It was so much fun. And it just felt nice because every single person in that room was literally an army of one. And it was so nice. They walked like, this is great. I can actually talk to another human being. So we're tired, okay? Right now, it's all about stop absorbing and start talking, okay? So the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group, it's an awesome place to go ahead and start. And the member site, like I said, is only going to continue to get better. It is still, the basic program is still only going to cost you less than three cups of coffee a week. All right. So keep listening. Sign up for the updates and the information that I'm going to be sending over in the next few weeks and you'll be dialed in. You can also catch me with my pal, the evil HR lady, <laughs> every Tuesday at 9 a.m., on you on youtube live uh we do a show called the real hr show we had suzanne lucas on here a couple couple episodes ago and uh this is our third this is our third episode yeah third yeah our third live episode that we're doing and um we're spending an hour talking about hr stuff so we meet every tuesday and uh, we're only on for an hour, but again, you know, it's YouTube. You can catch it on the replay if you miss it. But that's called The Real HR Show. And like I said, you'll be able to go ahead and find us. You can Google that and you'll it'll pop right up <clears throat> in your search. You can also follow me over on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. Over on Instagram, you can also follow me, follow me under Brenda the HR Lady. Over on YouTube, you can find me in, uh, as my name, Brenda Neckvottle. That's N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And finally, the website is at thebestpractices.work. Go ahead and click on connect at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. So folks, thank you again for joining me. I hope you guys really enjoyed today. This is very insightful. He's just awesome. That's just all there is to it. He's awesome. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's going to be a guest on the HR roundtable that is coming up. So being able to have him on and, and talking to the gang is, uh, is going to be pretty spectacular. So if you want to get an opportunity to, to really just enjoy some more time with uh, Brad, go ahead and join us. And, and I look forward to talking to you guys uh, next week. So take care of y'all. Stay safe, stay well, stay healthy, and uh, I'll talk to you soon.